Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. The pandemic is front and center, but we don't want to inundate you with coronavirus-related news on every show. So today we're rebroadcasting a show about being a father in 2020. We'll be back on Thursday with a new episode, and on Friday, I'll host a special regional call-in show that looks at online education for elementary and high school students now that schools across New England have closed. Are you a parent or teacher? Do you have the tools you need to meet your child's or student's needs? Leave us a message at 860-275-7595, or you can email me, lucy at ctpublic.org. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Connecticut is the seventh state to pass paid family leave, which will allow workers to receive benefits starting in 2022. Now, it's not just for new mothers. Anyone who's employed, including fathers, will be eligible to take leave for the birth of a new child or to care for a sick relative. Coming up, we talk to a Boston College researcher about whether having paid family medical leave encourages men to take time off from work. First, What's it like to be a dad in 2020? Older attitudes surrounding the role of a father cast men to be the main breadwinners and disciplinarians. But times have changed. Three quarters of mothers in the U.S. are employed, and there are more men than ever before who are taking active roles in caregiving. You'll find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. Now, the idea for today's show came from a resident who attended the Where We Live coffee break at Silk City Coffee in Manchester, Connecticut. Coming up, we're going to talk to stay-at-home dads about their experiences, including the stereotypes they encounter. Uh, My first guest, though, in studio is Tony Judkins, program manager for the Connecticut Fatherhood Initiative with the Department of Social Services. Uh, Tony, welcome to our show. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, I understand, uh, as I mentioned, you run this Connecticut Fatherhood Initiative. Before we learn about that program, I actually wanted to find out your experience as a dad. Tell us about it. Well, um, I was a young father. Um, I, was, uh, I had a, a, a child when I was 17 years old. I was still in high school. And uh, it was quite different from my second child, uh, who, who was, came 15 years later. Uh, so uh, the experiences were, were really different in that um, as a teenager, I didn't know anything about being a dad. And, and one of the things I'm learning is no one really knows. It's um, when kids are born, there are no instructions on how to do it. Um, we learn from our parents. We learn from what we see. And uh, I had to do a lot of learning. Uh, it was tough uh, because we didn't have programs like the Fatherhood Initiative when I was a kid. And, um, you know, those things are really helpful. They, 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 they give guys some tools they need to really uh, become all they can be as, uh, in being a parent and a, and a dad. Um, you know, I was lucky because I had parents who supported me. Uh, and that's one of the things that's really tough. Um, a lot of kids don't have that support at home. So when, when they have these children at young ages, it's really tough on them. So uh, really having support at home is, is helpful in the, in the work. And um, also um, just being, um, being engaged. Um, a lot of times when children are, are young, I, I know when I was going to uh, going through the pregnancy with my girlfriend at the time, um, I would go to the medical appointments, and the doctor didn't even ad- address me. Mm-hmm. I was there, 
and I was present and I was engaged. But um, I think that's a really, um, uh, really opportunistic time for uh, the medical profession, medical doctors to kind of help with that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if I'm engaged and I'm there, please include me in the conversation. So when you talked, uh, you were a teen dad, and you said you didn't know anything about how to raise a child, and that's common for anyone, whether they're a teen or someone who's an adult, their first time a Absolutely. child. But where did you learn how to become a parent? Was it something that you saw within your family structure? Yeah, um, I, I learned a lot of it from, from my mom. Um, my dad wasn't around, but my mom was really, really engaged. And um, one of the things I learned from her is is to be there for your children and show up. And, uh, you know, she was a single mom for a long time. And, um, you know, she she really instilled the, 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 the ethic around being there for your children. And I thought that was really important for me. Um, I learned from a lot of uh, men in the neighborhood who had children. Uh, I learned from a lot of family men around that and, and being engaged with your, your kids and and being present. I mean, that's that's the first and foremost thing that you want to do is be present for your children. And, um, you know, just because you have a, a child doesn't make you a man. And that's one of the things that I think was really important to learn, too, mm-hmm. is like I had a lot of growing up to do um, at 17. You don't you think you know uh, everything in the world, but you don't. Mm-hmm. Looking back, what are some of the mistakes you made as a young father and how did you work to, to uh, correct those mistakes? OK, so so for me, um, I thought that uh, what what a father was was someone who, um, you know, made sure that his kid kids had money and, and food on the table, um, made sure that I paid my child support, you know, and uh, for me, uh, my child uh, moved away from me uh, right after college, and um, one of the things that I I found out was, you know, I, I thought I was being a great dad. I would send my child support uh, every week, and and um, you know. Anytime there was a, a birthday or Christmas or anything like that, extra gifts would go uh, to my son. And I w- it dawned on me one day I called and I wanted to speak to him. And I, I, you know, I called and his mom said, hey, you know, AJ's outside. And she, I said, can you go get him? And she brings him in. And I say to him, I say, hey, AJ, what's going on? How you doing? And he tells me he's outside playing catch with his dad. And that really hurt me. I mean, that was that was a blow. Um, that like no one would would ever know how how much that hurt, uh, but he um, he 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 schooled me on something because he he equated the things that his stepfather was doing with him and, and, and being every, you know being part of his everyday life, uh, playing catch, uh, helping him with his homework, uh, tucking him in at night. Those things are what really matter to kids, and I wasn't there for that. And uh, you know, as soon as I hung up the phone, I was I was sure that his mom poisoned him against me, you know, and, and, and then I thought about it. And, um, you know, one of the things that I, I knew that I was wrong because I, I didn't do enough. And, um, you know, when I, when I started to think even more about it, um, you know, I was like, I, I have to change the way this is going for me and going for my son because, um, you know, I want him to know who I, I am. I want him to be connected to me. I don't, I didn't want the same thing that my dad did to me to happen to him. So, I made an effort to to really be there for him after that. But how challenging was that? Because you were living in different states. Not everyone um, has the resources to to get on a plane and visit their child uh, several states away. And so when you're working with uh, men in the Connecticut Fatherhood Initiative who are struggling with that too, Mm -hmm. struggling to make sure that they keep their job, but also trying to be a parent, I mean, how do you you navigate that? So, so, 
one of the things that that that's great now is that we have texting, right? You can text, uh, you FaceTime. can FaceTime. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> those those are things that I didn't have. So, uh, but but those things are really helpful. Um, you can be a long distance parent and 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 that way, um, and and be there very be very present. Um, you know, for me, it was writing letters, um, writing letters, and making sure that. Uh, when we did have breaks, I would go to see him or have him come see me. Uh, those things are really important. But phone calls, phone calls are really important. Checking in um, at least once a week to say, hey, how you doing? What's going on? Uh, those things are very important. Um, today, though, like I said, there's a, a myriad of ways to, to for dads to be uh, in contact, even guys who are um, fathering from incarceration. I mean, you can still be in contact with your kids. You can write letters. Um, they have programs where, um, you know, folks can, um, you know, write letters and they get them out to your children or um, they have days where, where families come to visit. You can, you know, so there's a way for you to, to stay in contact if you want, but you have to want to do that. Uh, this is where we live. In studio with me is Tony Judkins, program manager for the Connecticut Fatherhood Initiative. That's with the State Department of Social Services. Uh, coming up, we're going to learn more about how uh, Tony works with uh, men throughout uh, the state who are uh, trying to be better fathers, including when uh, the relationship with the child's mother um, is no longer uh, successful uh, and how co-parenting is important. But I wanted to bring into the conversation now uh, Brad Harrington, executive director and research professor at the Boston College Center for Work and Family. Uh, Brad, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lucy. I'm happy to be here. So um, tell me, you're joining us via Zoom, so hopefully you can speak a little bit louder. Uh, but your uh, center is looking at uh, work and family. Uh, when we think about uh, how dads uh, are part of this equation, uh, you know, what do we know about a dads today? Uh, well, some of the things that Tony said rang true uh, for the, even for the research that we've done. Um, we work a lot with with corporations and try to look at the experience of working fathers in, in fairly large organizations. And I remember the earliest study, we've done these studies on fatherhood for the last 10 years. And one of the first studies we did, we sent out this uh, survey and we gave the fathers six criteria for what it means to them to be a good dad. And of course, as you mentioned at the outset, Lucy, you know, the first things people think of is, oh, uh, you know, number one is they're a good breadwinner and they provide financially for the family. And number two, uh, wait till your father gets home because he's the disciplinarian. And those were two of the criteria, but we, we listed six and we asked them to rank order. And those came out fourth and fifth in terms of father's perceptions of what it meant to be a good father. And the number one thing that really echoes Tony's experience is um, to be present and, and available to my children in their day-to-day -day lives. So right off the bat, in our earliest studies, we really came to the understanding that, that fathers really viewed their role quite seriously in spite of the fact that I think a lot of times when people think about working families, you know, men and fathers are, are, are often a, uh, an afterthought. So um, it's been, you know, it's been really great to be able to do this over the course of all these years and to learn, you know, a, a little bit about the experiences that fathers have. Just just a couple of quick things we've learned. One is that, you know, this desire to balance breadwinning and caregiving is something that fathers take very seriously. And in all of our studies, 70 to 75 percent of fathers see their job as an equal balance between those two things. Uh, second thing is um, they experience just as much work-family conflict as, as their moms do, as their spouse does. Um, a lot of times because women do far more in the home and more caregiving, the assumption is that women are, are going to be uh, much more uh, conflicted and stressed out about these kinds of things. But it, it turns out that fathers express at least as much concern about that as their spouses do. Um, and a lot of that is because, A, they're away from home oftentimes more than their mom. 
And B, a lot of times corporations are a little less forgiving of fathers being, you know, really engaged caregivers Mm. uh, than their spouse. I wanted to ask you more, uh, Brad, about some of the stereotypes uh, of of fathers and their roles today. Uh, On Twitter, uh, we got a a tweet from Herbert who writes, I'm primarily a stay-at-home dad, and folks have gotten better with that situation for sure, I guess accepting that this is something that happens uh, more uh, now than before. But there's still this idea that I am unemployed and thus have to babysit. It was a mm-hmm. conscious decision and not a situation I fell into. What do you think about that? Yeah, you know, we did a study on at-home fathers a few years ago, and, you know, it really opened our eyes. Um, at the time we were doing the study, it was kind of in the post-recession period where so many men had lost their jobs. And what we were assuming is we were going to study men who had been laid off, who had lost their jobs, and really understand, you know, wh- why they made this transition into being a full-time caregiver. When we talked to the dads, they said, I think the, the, the at-home dads that we spoke to said, you're going to find our experiences very different than those guys. Those guys are filling in a sort of stopgap role within their family because they've been laid off. But the majority of at-home dads are not in that situation. They're people who've made a conscious decision um, to be at home with their kids. And usually that's based on the fact that they and their wife have decided that it's important for one of the parents to be home, if possible, when the children are young. And what we found is a lot of times it was a financial decision. Uh, in the study we did with the, with the uh, at-home dads, a lot of the fathers were social workers and teachers and their wives were doctors and business executives. And so from a financial standpoint, it made more sense for the, for the dad to be at home. And also because they were in these helping professions, a lot of times they had the, you know, the kind of uh, personality that lent itself to being a supportive and caring and nurturing parent. The two things we found consistently though throughout was that the two things that really struggled uh, were a struggle for at-home dads were one is the stigma and I, I, I imagine that's what you're talking about and they said that came from you know people even people that were very close to them who who sometimes said well I know you're doing this but why when are you going to get back into the workplace because the expectation is that's what real men do and so oftentimes they in terms of the internal struggle they felt that was one thing but they also had to deal with the expectations mm-hmm. of others and then the other thing that men experience when they do the at-home dad thing is isolation uh, they really struggle to find a social network and that's why organizations like tony's and and there are groups in almost every major city in the country now like uh, nyc dads is the largest group and that's mm-hmm. in new york city they find ways you, you know using technology and other medium to connect with other fathers because mm-hmm. you know for the most part nine times out of 10 or even more, if somebody stays at home, it's, a, it's a, the mom. And so a lot of times fathers really struggle to say, who do I connect with and how do yeah. I make a sense of connection because I'm doing something that's a little out of, out of the ordinary. Well, well, Brad, I wanted to actually uh, uh, t- dig, dig into a little bit more about why people have these perceptions of, uh, of men who decide to stay at home or the fact that uh, dads don't know what they're doing. I wanted to actually play uh, this uh, commercial from Huggies. To prove Huggies diapers and wipes can handle anything, we put them to the toughest test imaginable. Dads, alone with their babies, in one house, for five days. While we gave moms some well-deserved time off. How did Huggies products hold up to daddyhood? The world is about to find out. Good luck, babe. Again, that was a commercial from Huggies. My in-studio guest is Tony Judkins, um, who's also a father. Tony, you were shaking your head when I played that commercial. You see these and hear these stereotypes often? 
Absolutely. Uh, one of the things I wanted to address, though, you you, you said uh, when you were talking to Brad, there were, there were you know guys staying at home. They were babysitting their kids. You don't babysit your kids. You parent. You parent and you care give. So that's just one of the things that we try to tell guys because they would say that too when they come to the program. I'm babysitting my. No, you're not. You're care. You're being a parent. So that's first and foremost. But the the other thing is, you know, um, commercials. Commercials have done dads a real a real disservice along the line. Uh, for somehow in some way they we forgot that men are really important to their children, um, and you know we we look at commercials or we listen to commercials like that and we see them on TV and it, you know it seems like dads are always. Um, you know, not knowing what to do with their children when, you know, the world falls apart when mom leaves. And that is certainly not the case. I know a lot of capable men uh, who are taking care of their kids, uh, 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 you know, if not 50 percent more than 50 percent of the time. So, um, you know, that's just a, a stereotype. And I, and I think that we really need to, to close the book on, on that particular stereotype because guys can do uh, anything. Um, and sometimes we need help. That's fine, but that, but you know, we can parent, we can take care of our kids on our own as well. You're listening to Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Uh, in studio with me, Tony Judkins, Program Manager for the Connecticut Fatherhood Initiative. That's with the State Department of Social Services. And joining us via Zoom is Brad Harrington, Executive Director and Research Professor at the Boston College Center for Work and Family. Now, are you a stay-at-home dad? Several decades ago, stay-at-home dads were unheard of, but not anymore. Coming up, we're going to hear more about a Connecticut program to help men become better fathers. We also want to hear from you. You can join us. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Have you left your career to become a stay-at-home dad? Have you felt stigma from others because you're the primary caregiver? You can join us or, as always, find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. My guest today, Tony Judkins, Program Manager for the Connecticut Fatherhood Initiative. And via Zoom, Brad Harrington, Executive Director and Research Professor at the Boston College Center for Work and Family. Uh, Before we um, hear from uh, one of the fathers that's been helped by the Connecticut Fatherhood Initiative, uh, Brad Harrington, I wanted to go back to you before the break. We were talking about uh, why there are perceptions of or uh, you know, stereotypes about dads who stay at home. Um, we talked about how media plays a part. But I actually wanted to read another a tweet we got from Ryan. He says, stay at home? No. But as a primary parent, I frequently have had issues with coworkers over me needing to pick up my daughter from school or bringing her to doctor's appointments, daily facing the you should be a slave to your work and be in your cube for X hours per day stigma. Can you talk a little bit more about that, Brad, about um, how workplace culture plays into uh, men feeling they can't can't take time off, whether it's for a new child or to deal with, uh, you know, uh, issues when kids can't go to school because they're sick? Yeah, sure. I mean, one of the things you sometimes hear is that, you know, um, sometimes frustrated women and moms will say, gee, if my husband does anything, like one day he takes off because my child is sick or, or he comes to school play, that people in the workplace kind of applaud that and say, oh, isn't that cute that, you know, he's got to do something, he's going to stay home with his, with his child. But and I think there's that stereotype that when men do something, you know, around being a good parent, that they're always applauded for it. But what research has told us is that that's only true when men do it very periodically. When men actually are what they call conspicuous caregivers, in other words, they take parental leave or they 
or they, um, you know, have to leave every day at a certain time to pick up their child at childcare or whatever it might be, that men face probably more um, sort of, you know, harassment, marginalization, um, backlash, if you will, than, than moms do. And I think the feeling is that, you know, uh, the, the workplace is adapting and changing, but it hasn't really kept up with the experiences of a lot of, you know, dads in dual career situations or single dads or whatever it might be. And so I think there is still kind of a lag effect that's occurring where, you know, where men who, uh, you know, are conspicuous and say, this is my responsibility. I share this with my wife, or in some cases, I'm the primary uh, caregiver for my family. I think there is still an expectation that real men don't do that. And I think there's just, I, I guess the word lag is the right one to use. Mm. There's a, a lag between the experiences of most young fathers these days and what their, the expectations are that they have of themselves and what their spouse thinks that they should be doing as compared to how the workplace has accepted it. So mm. I think I think that will come with time. But as of now, there is still that that feeling that when, when dads are too upfront about all their caregiving responsibilities, they're not really uh, fulfilling their primary mm -hmm. role, which again, the stereotype is that's being a breadwinner. Yeah. And I think that's really changing pretty, pretty rapidly. Let's hear from some callers. Charlie's calling from Hartford. Charlie, you're on where we live. Charlie, go ahead. Oh, I don't think Charlie can hear me. Let's uh, listen. Marcus from Enfield. Marcus, you're on the show. Go ahead. Hi, I just wanted to um, call in and talk about like our situation with my wife and I is that uh, we really can't afford childcare. Um, so what we do is we have to work basically like a split split shift where she works more, or I work mornings, she takes care of the kids, and then I take care of the kids in the evening. And I noticed a lot of people doing the same things. Um, but it's pretty much 50-50 where I'm taking care of the kids. And I can tell you, if I were a stay-at-home dad, it's definitely a much tougher job than, than going to work and, and earning a paycheck. Mm -hmm. Marcus, can I ask you just briefly, uh, you mentioned that you know you both are balancing uh, work commitments with uh, staying home when need be. How do your employers uh, respond to that? Well, now, um, right now, uh, where I work is, is great. But I remember when my twins were first born, I had another job. And uh, it was uh, I took four weeks for my FMLA. Um, and I basically got a lot of criticism um, from management, you know, saying that I wasn't wasn't present for our peak season. Mm -hmm. So it, I think it definitely depends on the employer. But there, I still definitely see the stigma where, you know, uh, dads really aren't supposed to be there and they're supposed to be out, you know, uh, taking care of earning earning the the living. Yeah. Well, thank you, Marcus, uh, for, for calling in. Uh, find us on Facebook and Twitter, uh, at where we live. Uh, Tony, I wanted to go back to you because we've talked a, a bit about the fatherhood initiative, but uh, tell me a little bit more about the men that are in your program and what are some of the, the questions, the concerns that, that they're trying to deal with? Sure. So the, the profile of the men in our program, uh, obviously they're, they're um, low income, uh, the average age of the men that we see is 32 years old. They have an average of two children. And some of their barriers uh, include um, housing, lack of housing, lack of transportation, uh, child support debt is a big, a big issue for them, um, you know, conflict resolution and anger management, um, and, um, you know, sometimes food insecurities is another one. So uh, those are the things that they come to us with. And um, one of the things that happens when they come, they come and they do the assessment and we, we talk about, well, what's, why are you here? And they say, well, I have child support debt. Mm -hmm. And then we begin to dig a little more. I mean, it's like, well, do you, um, do you have stable housing? Well, I sleep on my friend's couch. Well, what happens if your friend is, you know, not going to be there 
You know, you, so so the way we ask questions is really important in how we kind of figure out what's going on with these guys. So stable housing to him is being able to sleep somewhere at night, but not, you know, stable housing to us is a little something that's different. So we really have to mm-hmm. be cognizant of that stuff. So um, I, I think that um, one of the things, too, that, that uh, the guys, they come to us with is this child support debt. And um, child support debt is paralyzing. Um, and, and one of the things, though, that we've done to really try to help these guys with that is really uh, get them into court for modification. Um, uh, I know back in the day uh, when, when guys were incarcerated around this particular piece, uh, the child support just kept mounting. We, they, we didn't do anything around the child support debt. But now uh, in Connecticut, um, our child support agency has been one of the uh, for, uh, foremost partners at the table around the work. And um, now here, when, when guys are arrested, child support is stopped until they get out of jail. So that is, that is a big deal here in Connecticut because, um, you know, when you have child support debt and you have um, involvement in, in the uh, criminal justice system, it is hard for you to do anything. So, uh, you know, kudos to, to our uh, colleagues over at the uh, Child Support and, and Judicial and Support Enforcement Services for, for working on that because uh, that's something that really kind of helps these guys uh, at least uh, be able to breathe a little bit around this. Mm. You know, earlier we were talking about uh, men who uh, stay at home or uh, men who um, are able or are thinking about taking paid leave. That's not even a consideration for the men you're working with. Absolutely not. And um, But what, what we're, we are finding out, though, is that, you know, um, these guys are taking care of their children um, and they are spending time with them. Uh, sometimes it's just not the way that the law would like for them to do it, but they, they are sometimes the caregiver and they have... Uh, these are resources uh, that mom has at her disposal. So if mom is working, then dad mm-hmm. will take that responsibility and, and make sure he takes care of the kids. So that's, uh, that's, uh, that's money saved from child care services, and they can actually, uh, you know, dad, that's dad's contribution since he's not able to make his child support payments, but he's giving to that child with his time and, and being there for that child. Uh, one of the men that you worked with through the Connecticut Father Initiative is, is on the phone now, Perry Thompson, who lives in Waterbury, Connecticut. Perry, uh, hello, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. So tell me um, tell me about your experience with the Fatherhood Initiative. We heard uh, Tony just talking about um, when we need to, issues with modifying uh, child support. Was this something that, that you were helped with? Most definitely. Uh, modification, as he put it, is definitely a great implementation into the program. It's always existed, but a lot of fathers didn't know that it was available. And now that they are actually uh, exposing that to these young men, then it gives them a better opportunity to catch up on their arrears, as well as to feel a little bit more comfortable in fathering their children. I'm curious uh, if you could talk more about uh, some of the other men when you were doing this program for 12 weeks. How did you help each other? Well, we're sort of like in a roundtable type situation, and everybody has an opportunity to have some type of input. So someone may say something, and then someone else may come back with a rebuttal, or they may agree with them. But everyone becomes more like a close-knit family. And then you know, what, there's no 
argumentation or anything like that in the situation. Mm. Uh, earlier, we heard Tony uh, giving us uh, some of his personal story about how he, um, like many uh, parents, you, know, you have to learn how to be a mother or a father. And uh, he uh, was uh, he saw his mother as a role model. Uh, do you hear that from other young men in the program um, that may not have any idea how to be a dad? And that's what that's how they're being helped. Well, definitely, um, especially in today's time, it's a situation where the household is not more or less uh, structured the way it was when I came up, you know, older gentleman. And I can see and feel some of the pain of the individuals that came up with just a dad or just a mom in the household. So, yes, um, it's definitely a situation that that's a problem. Mm. Well, I want to thank again uh, Perry Thompson for calling in from Waterbury, uh, one of the participants in the Connecticut Fatherhood Initiative. Uh, Perry, thanks for your time today. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Uh, I wanted to go back uh, to you, uh, Tony uh, Judkin, before I bring uh, Brad back into the conversation. Uh, you know, life uh, happens, and, and not all relationships are, are yeah. you know, stay on uh, being strong. And so how do you talk with these men about how to be a co-parent, even if that relationship with their child's mother is no longer existing? So the, the first thing, you know, they, they come to us, and they're, they're angry. You know, they're angry, and they're frustrated around this stuff. So we give them a few minutes to vent and then we go okay so what are you going to do to change that and one of the things that we we really uh, are, are focusing on is really helping these guys navigate the the co-parenting and um really taking a look at you know, what they what they can bring to the to the table around co-parenting and how to better do that um you know we work with them on conflict resolution so um helping them understand that you know the, the, the romantic relationship with you and mom is over, all right? So the, the thing that you should really be focusing on is your children. And so if you can keep your eyes on the prize, that's going to help you um, with, with navigating um, the issues that you may have with mom. And, and, you know, for moms too, we want moms to, to really engage and, and be present, and, but also understand that this guy, this man, this father, um, is, is someone who is important to these children. And if he's not in their lives... Um, you know, it's it, it's it's not insurmountable, but it really makes it tougher for children to succeed when dad is not involved. Mm. You're listening to Where We Live Today as we look at uh, what it means to be a father in 2020. My in-studio guest, Tony Judkins, program manager for the Connecticut Fatherhood Initiative with the State Department of Social Services. And then via Zoom, Brad Harrington's with us, executive director and research professor at the Boston College Center for Work and Family. Uh, Brad, I was curious what your response is to uh, this Connecticut Fatherhood Initiative, this idea that uh, men are learning how to become better parents, but also working uh, together with other peers, learning from each other. Uh, do we need more of these kinds of programs? Oh, absolutely. I think wherever you are on the socioeconomic scale, I think one of the problems that fathers have is they just um, don't take the time or, or find the outlet to have conversations with other dads about how do we do this well. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, uh, the folks that Tony works with, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of folks that I've done research with, they don't, they don't get paid leave. Uh, they don't have an opportunity to necessarily spend time and immerse themselves on caregiving with their kids one-on-one -on -one and that kind of thing. And they're expected to be right back at work uh, almost immediately. And I think that because of that, they just don't have the opportunity to really immerse themselves in what it means to be a good father. And so, and, and fathers aren't uh, typically as, as likely to network with other dads, talk about these issues, 
I go into a lot of organizations and corporations to talk about, you know, the issues of working fathers. And almost invariably, what I hear people say afterwards is they'll come up to me and say, that was great because that's the first time anybody's ever had a conversation in the workplace about what it means to be a working father. So anything that we can do, you know, whether it's Tony's organization, these at-home fathers groups that, that I mentioned earlier that exist all over the country, uh, conversations within employers and corporations and stuff like that, anything we can do to raise the profile of this issue and make people understand that this is a, it's a challenge for fathers because it's not necessarily something that they saw when, when they were growing up because a lot of times fathers in, in, at that time period were expected to focus you know, as much as possible their full-time energies in, in the workplace. So uh, these conversations are really necessary. Before we take another call, I, I wanted to go back to, to Tony because uh, talking big picture, this isn't just about um, helping uh, men become better, better fathers, but outcomes for the family at large. Can you talk through some of those outcomes when fathers are uh, involved both financially and emotionally? Sure. So so just to kind of give it some context, so um, in 2017, uh, U.S. Census Bureau data says that 19.7 million children live apart from their father, and uh, that's very alarming. Um, but research shows when a child is raised in a, a father absent home, uh, he or she are affected in many ways. One of them is they may live in poverty. There are four times greater uh, chance of them living in poverty when dad is not in the home. Uh, that's astounding. Uh, that's a that's a big one. Uh, the other one is um, uh, they're twice as likely to drop out of school. So um, we know that education is very important for all of us. And so when when this guy when this dad is not involved with his children, your children are susceptible to dropping out of school and not getting an education. Uh, and the 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 other big one is um, uh, they're seven times more likely to be a teen parent. And that is, is something that we all should be kind of uh, really, really listening to because um, that just starts a cycle again. If we, if we're not, um, if we're not doing anything to make sure that guys are connected to their children, these are the things that are going to happen. Mm. Uh, Charlie's calling from Hartford. Charlie, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Go ahead. Hi, this is Charlie. This is really enlightening hearing about this because I'm a divorced dad. I was divorced since 2016. I had to go to the family court system and just dealing with those stereotypes. I've dealt with them, you know, day after day through the family court system, the pediatrician, the the school, and it's it, it's just hard for men to deal with this. I think shows like this raise awareness and makes it a little easier for that to be there. Because I've had a little unique experience growing up. It was my mother who left and not my father, mm. so I grew up mostly with my father. So it was hard to to really show people that the other side of the coin also exists and that both parents should be treated equally and they are both important in the life of the children. So I just want to thank you for a show like this. Well, thank you. They are dads there who are parents as well. Thank you. Well, thank you, Charlie, uh, for your call. Again, uh, he was talking about how he would uh, deal with stereotypes in many systems, whether it was the court system, uh, uh, school, uh, and whatnot. Uh, but I wanted to uh, thank uh, Tony Judkins for joining us today here on Where We Live, Program Manager for the Connecticut Fatherhood Initiative with the State Department of Social Services. This is a program that's been in the state since 1999, and you have locations all over Connecticut. That is correct.
Well, we appreciate your time today, Tony. Thank you for having me. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Uh, coming up, Connecticut is among or is actually the seventh state uh, to pass paid family leave. So what factors keep men from taking time off, even when these programs exist? We're going to talk more with Brad Harrington, executive director and research professor at the Boston College Center for Work and Family. And you can join us, too. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at where, at where we live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we're talking about what it means to be a dad in 2020, uh, now that three-quarters of women are working in the United States. Uh, my guest uh, via Zoom today is Brad Harrington, Executive Director and Research Professor at the Boston College Center for Work and Family. Uh, Sally on Facebook writes, my husband was stay-at-home solely due to our salaries. I made a little more, but we couldn't afford two in daycare, so he stayed home. I remember one day he came home from the park and said, None of the other moms will talk to me. He felt very isolated, and it took a long time to break in with the mostly female home parents in our small time, small town, rather. You can join us, too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Brad, I wanted to talk about um, the idea, again, that um, Connecticut is uh, now the seventh state to pass paid family leave. In Connecticut, workers won't be able to receive benefits starting until about 2022. But I wanted to find out more about what the research says uh, when programs like paid leave exist, exist for men, whether it's a working for for-profit or a state program like Connecticut's, you know, what are some of the factors that lead men to take leave or maybe not? Sure. I, I'm a lot more familiar with the corporate programs than I am with how all the state programs work. But um, one of the things uh, that we learned when we did a study about dad's attitudes on paternity leave, which was about five years ago, was that... Um, Fathers very much wanted to take leave if it was available to them. They, they were afraid, as you can imagine, about being stigmatized or having people ask questions about, what, well, what are you going to do during your leave and is it really necessary kinds of things. But one of the main concerns they had was that they'd be fully paid for the time that they took leave. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at, at first blush, you might say, well, women take leave and they take it unpaid. Why, why wouldn't dads do that? And I think that, you know, obviously women, there's a real pressing reason why they take leave uh, and their need to do so um, in terms of birth and recovery and, so, and some initial bonding. Um, but I think a lot of times, if the, especially if the mom has taken uh, unpaid leave, then, then fathers are in a situation where they say, unless I'm paid at, as close to full pay as possible, um, it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be very likely I can do this. And it, you know, the, you know, we know, and the, the reason Connecticut's doing what they're doing is because the United States has very, backwards policies about paid leave for parents or for family care in general. And so, you know, given the circumstances we have, everybody's got to kind of fend for themselves financially. And so, you know, for dads to take it, I think it's even more pressing uh, for them in many circumstances to, uh, to be paid as fully as possible. We did a study on paid leave, and we were we were fortunate to do it in four corporations, all of whom have expanded their paid leave policies. And uh, the fathers who take leave receive somewhere between six and 16 weeks of paid leave. And we were surprised to see in our study that, um, you know, and again, the circumstances were sort of ideal. These fathers were well-educated, they were well-paid, and they were being compensated 100% during, during this time off. 
But we found that 62% of the fathers took the full leave available to them. And even if they got as much as 16 weeks off, the average was they took about 80% of that 16 weeks, the dads who filled out the, uh, the study that we did. And, you know, what, what, you know, found was not surprising. The pay was important. Uh, the fact that their, their leadership supported them and their coworkers supported them. The fact that they had wives who had very busy and very responsible jobs and in many cases earned as much or more than they did um, made it, you know, such that fathers said, hey, if the leave is available and if my workplace is going to support this, I, I am mm. going to take it. And no. I'm, ahead, I'm, I'm curious when we talk about some of uh, uh, what men face uh, in uh, the workplace if they choose to take uh, paid leave. You know, women for so long worry that if they take time off, uh, they will be passed over for promotions yep. or it does impact uh, their ability uh, to be uh, paid more or, uh, you know, yep. in the future. And so are you saying that in, within the study that you found the men that were taking the paid leave, they didn't face those uh, repercussions? No, they did. But um, it was interesting that the, the women in the study were just as worried about that as the men were. In mm -hmm. fact, you know, w when we asked the, the men, like, if you limited the amount of time you took off, what was the limiting factor? And the number one limiting factor was a fear that it would delay my career advancement. And 50% of the dads said they had that fear, but 60% of the women had the same fear. So, um, you know, what we found is when it came to the workplace, mothers and fathers had a lot of the same issues and experiences when it, when it comes to leave. I think it's just still more uncommon for the men to take it. But one of the very positive uh, messages we got was that 80% of the women and the men in the study, and again, this is in just a few particular co corporations, 80% of the women and men said that they thought that the or their organization was equally supportive of men and women taking expanded leave. And so, again, like I said earlier, mm -hmm. you know, we're at a period of transition. And I think there are encouraging signs that where employers step up and offer leave, um, if they encourage men to take it, they, they will do it. And uh, yes, they face some, you know, some of the uh, pitfalls that women face in terms of what their career trajectory might be afterwards. But, but their concerns are no different than women's uh, when it comes to that. Um, I think there are, you know, there are some women who said they felt that when they came back from leave, their career opportunities were more limited. And that suggests there still is some unconscious or conscious bias about, well, once women have children, they're going to they're gonna take a step back career-wise. Uh, but some men were concerned with that as well. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, the U.S. Uh, really falls behind uh, most other uh, nations when it comes to offering paid family leave. When we look at how other countries have rolled out paid leave, do you also find that men uh, are less likely to take leave than, than women? Yeah, I think it's still the case that that's true. Um, you know, people always point to the Nordic countries as the most advanced on these kinds of policies. And what the Nordic countries did uh, fairly early on was to say, you know, we'll designate a certain amount of leave that only the mother can take, a certain amount that only the father can take. And then there'll be a, sh a shared period, which the couple can de decide and negotiate who's going to take the, the shared leave that's available. And once they did this kind of use it or lose it for men, the vast majority of men, like 90% of men, take that that leave period that is designated for fathers, they don't want to lose it and they want to have the time with the children. But when it comes to the shared leave period, there is still uh, more of a tendency for women to take the majority of that leave. So, you know, it's still not a, a kind of a universally accepted or even accepted in, in specific places. That there is total equality in the workplace, but uh, certainly a lot of countries are ahead of us in terms of promoting the ideas that this is, this is very much for dads too.
So it sounds like uh, for our country to be more accepting of the fact that uh, men should be able to take paid leave as well, uh, we need to have more of them taking leave and to get yep. employers to see that this is this is important. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, it, when we talked to the, to the men in our study and we said, well, you know, who is most helpful in terms of you thinking about this thing? It was coworkers. It was number one. You know, they were the people that really gave me information and helped me understand what I'd be grappling with here. And then the other issue was, you know, they looked at whether managers and senior leaders had taken leave. And, you know, many of them in the open-ended comments uh, said, boy, if senior managers take it or senior managers talk about it and really echo that they are supportive of this, that makes a huge difference in terms of our, our inclination to feel it's an okay thing to do. I mentioned that Connecticut is just one of seven states and Washington, D.C. that that allows uh, paid family leave. Again, it won't be implemented until uh, 2022. Uh, But anything that you've seen in the way uh, states have rolled this out uh, that might make it more equitable uh, for both men and women to take leave? I really I haven't studied the the policies in the states quite quite so much as we've looked more at the corporate um, activities. Um, you know, again, the things I said a minute ago about you know the 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 commitment and the communication from leaders and organizations to say this is really a good thing to do. I think some organizations also are really trying to take a positive stance in terms of saying, you know, how do we you know really present role models, people that are well respected in the workplace. Uh, you know, uh, you know that that people would look up to and say, "Geez, if they're taking it and they seem to be doing okay career-wise, that's an important thing to do." We also talked earlier about advertising and promotion and things like this. And you know, the the media uh, has not done any favors to men who played the Huggies ad way back when. I think that you know that was an ad that really got attacked by the, a lot of the fatherhood groups who said, "You know, why are you portraying men in this way? You know, mm-hmm. this is this is not the way fathers actually operate these days." And you know, one of the organizations we've worked with. In fact, they were the sponsors of the uh, parental leave study is Dove Men uh, Plus Care. And, um, you know, Dove has tried through their their men's products to really promote an image of, um, you know, men are fathers, too. And, and, you know, real men do caregiving and that kind of thing. So they've been also championing as an organization, Unilever and the Dove Men Plus Care line have been championing parental leave for all dads. and so, you know, we, we need organizations that both in terms of the media portrayals are going to show that dads are really interested and engaged and involved in these kinds of things. And also organizations who try to champion these kinds of policies as being the right thing, thing to do uh, for mothers and for fathers. And we're seeing an organization like that that sponsored our study doing a lot of work uh, lobbying on Capitol Hill and so forth to try to say, how do we make paternity leave something that the, that the um, you know, that employers consider very seriously and hopefully champion, you know, paternity leave for all dads in the country and not just a select few. Mm. Uh, as Connecticut uh, tries to roll out this paid family and medical leave in a couple of years, uh, again, are there incentives that the state could provide uh, to uh, get fathers to take it? Because as you mentioned earlier, fathers are less likely to do so, especially if they're uh, the higher paid uh, parent. And if they're not going to get fully paid, they worry about what that means in terms of finances. Well, the biggest thing is finances, and it's, mm-hmm. I don't know the Connecticut policy, but I am guessing that they are not going to get paid at 100%. Um, so that's going to make it more challenging mm-hmm. uh, for, for them to take it. Um, you know, I do think some kind of a promotional campaign or something that really, uh, you know, in the same way we, we raise people's consciousness about climate change, about smoking or whatever it might be, I think the idea of, you know, it, this, is a, this is a change process. And so the degree to which, you know, uh, 
that we can use positive messages and positive campaigns to encourage men to do this kind of thing. It would be great. Anytime you can get men talking to men, the kinds of things Tony talked about with, with, with his client base. Um, but it could happen at all levels and all kinds of organizations. Get men talking to men about what their experience was like and how important uh, taking leave is in terms of really shaping your relationship with your children. You know, Tony mentioned, uh, you know, a lot of the very positive outcomes that have from that you have from having engaged dads. And the more engaged fathers are at the beginning stages of children's life, research has shown that the more they're involved early on, the more likely it is that they'll be, a, you know, hands-on uh, dads, you know, for the long term. So I think any messages we can get out that say, you know, if you really want to have a strong relationship with your child, it starts really, really early. And if you can take leave, you'll find that it has positive knock-on effects for your child in terms of their health outcomes, in terms of their uh, like uh, likelihood of reducing risk behavior, in terms of education, in terms of health and all that kind of thing. I wanted to read a tweet from Dory about uh, changing uh, roles. Uh, she writes, my husband stays home with the kids while I work my job and work towards my Ph.D. He's such wow. an amazing father, and I'm so glad my pa boys have this period in their lives to spend so much time together. Uh, thank you, uh, Dory, uh, for sharing that. And before we, we let you go, uh, Brad, I understand that you've also looked at, at millennial dads. Uh, what, is the, what does the future look like in terms of how they perceive themselves as fathers and their roles? I think, you know, millennial fathers, we expected when we studied millennial dads and compared them to the, you know, the older dads, the Gen X, the baby boomers, that there would be tremendously drastic differences. That's not so much the case in terms of what we've learned in our research. Uh, but what we, you know, what we do know is millennial dads are far more likely to have a full-time working spouse than was the case amongst, say, the baby boomers. And because of that, the expectations for millennial dads are going to be much greater. Uh, what we find in our studies is, you know, especially of young dads these days is is somewhere approaching three quarters of them uh you know have uh full-time working spouses and about the same percentage say we we want caregiving to be egalitarian we yeah. want to be shared caregivers and we want to do this on an equal basis with moms yeah. i think that they're not there yet but i think that you know you're going to find as as this generation comes up with so many dual career couples uh, you're going to find that dads are going to be probably a lot more demanding of, you know, of the time that they need to be, to be effective. Well, we'll leave it there. Brad Harrington, Executive Director and Research Professor at Boston College Center for Work and Family. Thanks so much. Today's show produced by Carmen Baskoff. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Thanks for listening. And learn more about the show. Just download Where We Live from your favorite podcast app.